800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. I want to squeeze in a call real here real quick before we talk some EVs. Let's go to John in Detroit. What's up, John? Yeah, thank you. Um, the media and uh, the people talking about this conflict are not making it clear that the war is between Israel and Hamas, the terrorists. Correct. Not the Palestinians. Correct. The Palestinians are not the enemy. The Hamas, the terrorists, are using the Palestinians and put by putting their Palestinians in front of yeah. as in defense. And and we need to make it clear. And, and Rashid did that lady did Rashida not make it clear. She didn't make it clear that the war is against a terrorism group, not the Palestinians. So here's what I'm not entirely sure. I'm not entirely sure that Rashida Tlaib views Hamas as a terrorist organization. The United States does. And, John, if you've listened to the show, I know you do. You've then, called in before. We, we make that. Ask her. John, we well, ask I, her. I'd love to talk to her. I, she doesn't uh, respond to, to us, unfortunately. But, but John, um, if you listen to this show, we've made that, that delineation. Hamas is different than Palestinians. Hamas is a government body. They're the they're the governmental agency in Gaza. And they they won in 2006. They've been in control ever since. And they're a split off of the 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 Muslim Brotherhood. Basically, their whole ideology is eliminating the Jewish state from the region. Right. But no, no, there are absolutely there are people that do not agree with Hamas in Gaza. There are people that do not uh, that do not subscribe to Hamas's way of thinking. But the United States has labeled Hamas a terrorist organization. So you are right. This this war is not with Gaza. This war is not with Palestine. This war is against a terrorist organization, according to the U.S. government in Hamas. I, I, I think it's a, it's a good point, John. I appreciate the call. Thank you. Um, you know, as I, I've been thinking about the, the UAW. And the tentative deals that have been reached, and it sounds like the Ford deal is going to get passed uh, by pretty wide margin. But we've talked a lot about, are we going to see the cost of cars go up? Uh, and most believe that, yes, there will be some some increase in the cost of vehicles. But there is a new report out that the average car payment just hit a new record high. The result the average new car payment in the third quarter was $736 a month. That's 33 bucks higher than it was a year ago. That's according to Edmonds. But you're talking about interest rates going through the roof, inflation still high, real inflation still very high. The cost of goods and services are, are, are still high. And so it's not a surprise that the cost of vehicles are going up. But... When you couple the UAW strike and the production bubble that we're going to see with the uptick and the increase in electric vehicles that are being produced, are we going to see an uptick in electric vehicles and and still maintain that same fervor to a certain extent that some people do want electric vehicles? Jennifer Mefford is the national co-chair of the Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Training Program and joins us. Jen, good to have you. Thanks for having me, Chris. Um, how did this strike, do you believe, impact the sales of electric vehicles or, or the production of electric vehicles? You know, I think the strike as a whole affects our economy in so many ways. And electric vehicles and production and future 
numbers are just part of that, right? So we feel that so strongly here in this Detroit market uh, with anything that has to do with the UAW because it's such a huge part of our ecosystem. I think there's no question that we're all looking at what are the long-term you know, financial effects of the strike, but really what does it look like for manufacturing moving forward? You know, I think that when, when you open the segment you were talking about, this recently announced report on the average price of a car, any powertrain, EV, you know, ICE vehicle or EV, being at about $736 a month. That's substantial. Mm-hmm. That doesn't include, you know, the fuel. It doesn't include the insurance. So absolutely interest rates are paying, you know, playing a role in this. If we think about the difference between an EV and an ICE vehicle today, prices are coming down on EVs. Um, we'll see how that levels out with battery technology, which typically is the biggest portion of that vehicle. Um, prices are coming down slightly, but they're still about ten to $12,000 more than an ICE vehicle. If you do some comparisons, Chris, I know you love the Ford F-150, me too, mm-hmm. right? Um, the difference just in that on a 60-month lease at 8% from an ICE vehicle that's about $60,000, let us say, to an F-150 Lightning at about seventy two. Yes, you can buy them for more or less than that. But as an average, it's going to cost you about $250 more a month. Now, every consumer, that's a significant increase, right? True. Every consumer, especially in the economy today, where everything feels like it costs more, they may, it may cause a pause for them to say, you know what, I really want that, but I just don't know quite yet at this price point. So until we reach some price parity, I think we're going to see a little bit of a slowdown, but I don't think it's the meltdown that some people are talking about. And and it almost feels like if there is a slowdown, meltdown, whatever it is, if if there is a pullback on the the demand for electric vehicles, which which I think is still pretty low, but it should increase as as the years go on. Um, it almost seems like a pretty prime opportunity. We we've talked about almost the chicken or the egg approach. Do you? Do you do you build the cars and the infrastructure follows or do you build the infrastructure and then the the vehicles follow and you're able to roll right into it? I don't know that there's really a right answer at the moment. Things are kind of working in tandem. Does this kind of provide an opportunity for for an infrastructure uh, while there may be a meltdown um, kind of explosion here where we can really get working on this? And then by the time the the markets or the rates kind of stabilize you're going to see more and more people get into electric vehicles and it'll make the drive easier yeah we know that infrastructure is a, is a key thing for making a choice and the more infrastructure is going to help all that so lots of infrastructure is going in as you said in tandem with the development of those vehicles let's also look at the ev market that there are so many more model choices now coming and also coming out that anybody in the market to buy an EV, those that have been in production, right, for the longest period of time are where we're seeing not everything is selling at the same pace, right? Mm -hmm. So we have more of those that have been in production longer. There's just more choice now. So I think that early adopters have moved into the EV space, but everyone else kind of in that next round of early mass adoption is like, hey, maybe I want to see what comes out next, Sure. right? There's a lot of product in this space. So I think it's a lot of different variables. Yeah. We know we're going to be putting infrastructure in in large numbers, and that will help all of it. Uh, Jennifer Mefford, appreciate the time and insight. Uh, our EV expert, always appreciate picking your brain. Thanks, Chris. We'll talk to you again very soon.
Uh, Got to take a break. We'll get to the news coming up, get you some important stories making their way around. And I have an important question about a potential race in Pennsylvania. Could that spell the outcome of the 2024 presidential election? That's next.